chapter 4. One person got that at least. Let's pray. Father, just uh, ask right now that you just pour out your Holy Spirit on each and every person here, including myself, Lord, that you would just allow us to dive deep into your treasure chest and that you would just reveal to us the jewels and gold of your word and that we would hide it in our hearts and that you being the light of the world would just shine on those areas of our heart the deep recesses that need to be exposed and that you would just do a miracle here today and we ask this in Jesus name Amen Verse 1 of chapter 4 of the book of John. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. One of the things that Jesus was trying to do right here is to avoid confrontation. He knew that it was not yet his time yet, and he knew that in just a short amount of time, these very Pharisees would be stirring up a mob to crucify him. So Jesus, who knew what was coming down, said, it's not time yet, I'm going to move on, because I have something else that I have to do. That same Jesus that has to do something back then has to do something today. He's got to do something tomorrow. Every time that we gather together, every time we open this word, every time we pray, Jesus wants to do something. We need to have a great anticipation for what that is, because he does not show up for nothing. He's always here to do something. Verse 4, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Suhar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being weary from his journey sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, suhar means drunken, the word drunken. And when we look at this in verse 4, it says he needed to go through Samaria. Now, you have to understand, we're going to see a little bit in a couple verses, the, Samar the Samaritans did not get along with the Jewish people. They were a mixed race that had come from uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had invaded uh, that land, the southern part of Judah, and he had taken most of the Samaritan people to his country. And the people that were left over mixed with other people, had offspring, and this was the Samaritans. It was a half-breeded race. There was a lot of racial prejudice. There was a lot of hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. Sometimes so bad that the Roman government had to come in to bring peace. And sometimes they would even crucify people to set an example not to be arguing with one another. But the part that I wanted to bring out to you right here in passing is verse 4. He needed to go through Samaria. He had to go through Jesus has to be here today. He has to be in all the churches throughout the world today that are worshiping him, 
and that are meeting together, because as we know, when two or more are gathered, he's right there in a very special, supernatural way, because he has a work to do. Jacob's well was there, we see, and one of the things I want to bring out is in verse 6, Jesus, therefore being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour. Now, one of the neat things in this is uh, I've been fortunate enough to go on a couple of mission trips to Israel. And you can see shepherds still uh, taking care of their sheep. And around the 12 o'clock hour, 12 noon, they'll settle down the sheep, they'll feed them. And it's a time the shepherd also, who's tired from the night protecting his sheep, making sure everybody's safe, lies down and rests. And we see the humanness in Jesus right here, that he's tired, and he sits down by this well, and it was right around noontime. And we're going to see something very interesting, that it wasn't by chance that Jesus took this man. Remember, the Samaritans were a half-breeded race, a lot of prejudice with the Jewish people, and if you visited this area, and you were going back to the region of Galilee, you would go a long way. You would take an extra couple days' journey across the Jordan River and head north. But the shortest route was right through Samaria. Well, Jesus decided to go through Samaria, and we're going to find out why. Verses 7 through 9. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And you can see built into this woman from a young age was Jews and Samaritans don't get along. You know, they just, just the way it is. We know that there's racism in our country. There's racism in our jobs. There's prejudice, white against white, black against black, white against black. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter the nationality. You might not like the way a person looks, the way they talk, the way they act. You might not like me right now. But that's the sin nature. That's the fallen nature. And Jesus had to go through Samaria because of a lost sheep. So just like those people in Bethlehem, they don't settle down until they know all the sheep are okay and they take their nap with the sheep. Well, Jesus being weary, sat by this well. And this woman approached at the 12 o'clock hour to get water. Now here's a neat thing as you study the scriptures. Most of the women will come out early in the morning or when the sun was going down the cooler parts of the day. But this woman, as we're going to find out, was an immoral woman. She had a lot of problems. And she came to this well at a time when no one else was there. She didn't have to put up with the grief of being called names or being looked upon in a negative way. But when she gets there, somebody was there to meet her. And it was Jesus. And Jesus starts the conversation. But you have to understand, for a Jew, who she recognized Jesus as being, speaking to her, all of a sudden, 
breaks all these racial barriers. What is this guy speaking to me for? He's a Jew. Plus, he's a man. And Jesus, as we know, was a, a rabbi. He was called a rabbi. A rabbi never spoke to a woman in public. Isn't it interesting what Jesus is showing us about tradition and prejudices through this? He didn't have any. Everybody was important to him. So important that he went into a land that was hated by other people to meet a woman who was scorned by the other woman in town. And you notice Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Why are you asking me for a drink? It was probably sarcastically that she said it. But she came to a well that is still there today, over in a town called Nablus, in the southern part of Israel. And now, because of all the debris in it, at this time it was around 100 feet, 150 feet deep. Now it's about 75 feet deep because of all the debris that's in it. But to get water from it, you needed an instrument, you needed a rope to go down with the bucket and pull it back up. And Jesus didn't have this. And he starts the conversation just on the surface. Give me a drink. How thirsty are you and I today? Jesus always used physical uh, objects to teach a spiritual lesson. The well was deep. Jesus didn't have any instrument to go down there, but this woman did, and he approached her. The water of life needed some water from a woman who was dry. She was hurting. She was a sinner. And we're going to see some things about her as we go. Verses 10 through 14. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman was on the physical plane as you... As I was just reading, as you could see, she still was going back. Sir, you don't have anything to draw with. Like, where are you going to get this living water that you're talking about? And Jesus was breaking down the barriers. He started on a very simple one. I'm thirsty. Can you give me a drink? The woman showed her prejudice towards Jesus. Jesus doesn't come back hard. Just like that shepherd in the fields of Bethlehem would lie down with his sheep and make sure they're all there. Jesus sought out this one lost sheep to bring it into the fold. And he did it gently. He did it with love and compassion because he is love. And we're going to see it. the woman responds to Jesus' love. 
We also see in the verse 12 that she refers to her father Jacob, who gave us the water and drank from it himself. Now you see, here's one of the things. There are two, there's two mountain ranges in Israel, in this area of, of southern Israel. And one of them is where the people stood uh, when they were coming into the Promised Land. There were people that would proclaim blessings on the people. And on the other side was where they would proclaim cursings. Well, the people of Samaria set up a temple on the side that was for blessings. Now, the only problem with this is they weren't supposed to set up a temple there to honor God. The temple was in Jerusalem. And this is something for a check for you and for me. There's a lot of places of worship in the world today, but there's not a lot of places that honor God. It's not where you go to worship, it's who you worship. But there's churches today that don't honor God's Word. They don't use His Word as a focal point of their ministry, of their teaching. And here this woman knew about Jacob. This was the well that Jacob had given uh, to his son Joseph. So you think in itself it would be okay. It was in the family. But the only thing is, they weren't honoring God because they weren't honoring His Word. They didn't take the full counsel of His Word. They were taking the part that felt comfortable to them. It fit their lifestyle. Because if they read too much of God's Word, it would make them feel uncomfortable. The woman came to the well to get water, a physical thing. She was thirsty. She had to do clothes. She had to do the cooking. She needed that water for her daily sustenance. But by going to where she needed a physical need, she's going to find out some things about herself spiritually. Notice in verse 13, Jesus says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But the water that I'm going to give you will never thirst. It will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, you and I might understand what that means. This woman had no clue. Didn't understand. And we see that in the next few verses. In verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Notice she wants this water, but notice it's pretty selfish. She just wanted this water so she didn't have to make the trip here and be thirsty anymore. She wanted a freebie. She wanted something she didn't have to work for. She didn't understand that Jesus wasn't talking about the physical water. Jesus isn't talking to us physically today. He's talking about that well inside of us. How full is that well? How empty is the well? How cluttered is the well? Is it flowing? Good, fresh water? Or is it stagnant? Does it stink? The woman goes on to say, or Jesus goes on to say in verse 16, 
I'm sorry, verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst will come here to draw. Now Jesus brings it right back to the spiritual in verse 16. Jesus says to her, Go, call your husband and come here. Notice he's not talking about the water anymore. Okay, he changes direction. The woman answered and said to her, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have said, Well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. So the woman told Jesus the truth. She recognized something right now, and she responded in a true answer. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Pretty good, right? She started to recognize something that is different about this guy than any other guy that she's ever met. And remember, she's had at least five husbands, and this sixth guy isn't her husband. So she hasn't met a man like this yet. And, and she's starting to change. Started with the, uh, saying, you're a Jew. Okay, and now in this last part, she's softening up. And it calls in verse 15, calls him sir. So we see a change in just how she's talking to Jesus. What's neat is you and I, as we spend time with Jesus, He softens our heart. And we get to know Him on a more personal basis. Remember the first time you came to the Lord, if you're a Christian here today, and now 10, 15, 20 years later, how's that relationship? Is it better than ever? Is it awesome? Or is it stagnant? Verse 19. We see that she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. So we have a lot of words in verses 21 through 24 of Jesus saying there is a day coming when you're not going to worship on this mountain and you're not going to worship in Jerusalem. It's not going to be where you worship. Because as we know, we, you and I are the temples of the Holy Spirit if we've asked Jesus to come into our hearts. Where we go is where God goes. You don't have to go to a particular place. You can be with Jesus 24 7, 365. Verse 22 You worship what you do not know. How many people are worshiping what they don't know today? 
simply because there's a person that's saying nice things to hear. But those people are not rightly dividing the word of truth. We are blessed. We just think about some of the things when Heather and Paul were up here. And uh, Anthony had said, like this Saturday, and Joe just um, emphasized it with the men's meeting. Just think of all the things that you can get plugged into. Think of the things that you can do to just feed your spirit. Are you doing that? Are you doing it? Or are you just going through an obligation of coming here on a Sunday? It's important that you know the answer to that. It's so important. Because Jesus is here, and he's meeting each of us here, and he's not done with any of us yet. If you're still on this earth, there's a reason you're here still. And that is to know God and make him known. And we're going to see that with this woman as we continue with the story. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So she had the knowledge that something was going to happen, that somebody was coming. And notice what Jesus says here. I who speak to you am he. If you ever want a good place where Jesus tells us that he's the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the Christ, it's right there. He is the one that the prophets talked about. He's the one that Moses talked about. He's here. He came. And he's right in front of this woman from Samaria that he needed to see. This lost sheep that he wanted to bring into the fold. Now we're going to turn our attention to another group of guys. His disciples. The dirty dozen. You and I can relate to the dirty dozen. I'm sure with all the different personalities that they have as we read the scriptures about them. But they missed all this. And here's a point I want to drive home to myself and to you. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you see, or why are you talking with her? Remember the barriers that were there. Remember the traditions that a rabbi, a, a man wouldn't talk to his own wife in public, yet alone a stranger, yet alone a Samaritan. Uh-uh. Off limits. But they didn't express that to Jesus. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Notice she didn't go to the woman. She went to the men. Remember, she's had five husbands. And the one she was with now wasn't her husband. And I'm sure these men knew who this person was. And she says, he's told me everything 
that I ever did. Now I wonder, I'm sure it was hot over there at the time. It was noontime. It's a desert area. But I wonder how many of the men started sweating a little bit more when she said that he told me all things that I ever did. Well, then they went out of the city and they came to him. And there's almost an urgency there. They needed to get out and see this person. I wonder why they went. Some, because they were afraid of me. Because they had been with this woman. They didn't want their wives finding out. Maybe some were just curious that they saw something different in this woman. Because they had known her for all these years, but there was something different about her. They couldn't really tell what it was, but there was something in the way she said it. There was something in her appearance that got their attention. Well, let's get back to the dirty dozen for a minute. Verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him to name Rabbi eat. Remember, they had gone to the city to get something to eat. While Jesus stayed on the outskirts of the city in this town by the well. And Jesus says to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Now remember, Jesus, just like now, and as he did back then, he uses the physical to make a spiritual point. And he's saying, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So what did the dirty dozen do? Verse 33, Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has, anybody, has anyone brought him anything to eat? They're figuring somebody must have fed him. How did he get food? What's he talking about? Because they're guys. They're tired. They just want to eat and sleep right now. They lost something that was very important that you and I can't lose. And we've got to hold on to. And that is ministry. Ministry. Reaching out to the lost all the time. And not missing God moments. Not missing God opportunities. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In John 5, 17, it says, But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. It is so awesome to know that Jesus works 24-7 365. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and just spent time with Jesus? He's there. You can pray to him. You can sing to him. You can read his word. He's there. He never goes away. He's always there. That is awesome. That we can go to Jesus anytime and have him with us all the time. What a tremendous comfort that is if the world doesn't have that. This woman did not have that when she went to the well. She was trying to satisfy herself with other men. Maybe you're here today and you can relate to this woman, whether you're a guy or a girl. Maybe, remember the town's name means drunken. Maybe you're drinking in other things of the world to try to satisfy the empty feeling that's inside of you 
where all the time Jesus is right there. And He's the only one that can give you that living water that gushes from in. You can't bring it from the outside in. Jesus needs to be inside and He works out from the inside out. So Jesus' food is to do the will of Him who sent him and to finish his work. Now, he's still addressing the disciples. He's breaking it down for them. And to their credit, they start to understand. In verse 35, it says, Do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Now, when you sow seed, Usually it takes about four months to start coming up. But what Jesus is saying here to them is instead of looking just at yourself and your environment, you're hungry, you're tired, it's late, it's you know, midday, I want you to look up and look around. You left here, you came back, you saw me speaking to this woman. Did you have an opportunity to speak to this woman today? Maybe on your way out? to get some food? Or do you miss it? Were you so consumed with the material part of your lives that you missed the spiritual opportunity? And Jesus is here just helping them, teaching them. Because these were His sheep. And He loved them just as much as He loved this woman at the well. Now I wonder as they lifted their eyes up, when Jesus said, lift up your eyes, if they saw all the guys from town in a dust cloud coming to Jesus. And one of their heads, they had turbans on them, and it looked like grain coming up the road. It looked like wheat stalks coming. And I wonder if this was Jesus saying to them, hey, look, here's a whole harvest field out. Are we going to miss this opportunity simply because we're hungry and tired? Verse 36. Jesus goes on to say, He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he and who sows and who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I say you reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. One of the things we can think about is the first five books of the Bible that they taught from, that that was their Bible, those first five books. So within those books and the prophets that came and all the history, all the years that went on before this particular meeting in Samaria, the prophets had talked about Jesus coming, had talked about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had planted seeds. The seeds had been watered. And now, here's this woman. Here's these guys coming from the town. A lot of people had planted seeds. Other people have watered it. As we know, God causes the growth. But the question I have for you and for me today is, how are we doing spreading the seed? How are we doing watering the seed? And... If we're in a position to see the reaping 
where people are coming to the Lord. Well, praise God for that. But understand, we're not alone. We're not like one range of Christians. Oh, this is what I did. Oh, this is awesome. No, we're in it together. We're the body of Christ. We're the family of God. He's our head. Anything good that happens is just His. And we get to partake of it. But do we understand the severity of the times? That in the 25 minutes that I've been up here, like hundreds of people have already gone on to eternity. They're gone. They're gone. And either where they're with Christ right now, or they're in a crisis eternity forever. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. Now remember, she left her bucket at the well. Remember, that bucket was very important to her. That water was crucial for her survival. She left, which was the physical. She left it. And she went into town for the spiritual. Something happened in her confrontation with Jesus. The man that you now are with is not your husband. She was convicted. Then she was converted. And then she went into town to tell others. And because of her testimony, people responded and followed her out to Jesus. And as a result of meeting Jesus, they believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. And all she said was, he told me all that I ever did. Now the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. What a two days that must have been. And Jesus had to leave them and go on to his next place that he needed to go. But he doesn't leave you. He doesn't leave me. We get to have that living water in us all the time, this overflowing in our lives. But I need to ask you this today. Are you the well that is empty? Are you the well that's half full? Or are you a gushing river overflowing and just blessing the people that are around you? Because you are plugged into the source of the living water, Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus like the woman knew like the Samaritans know, or like his disciples know. What level of relationship are you with him today? Now, verse 41 says, and many more believe because of his own word. That's pretty awesome. Remember, some believe because of the woman's word, because of her testimony. That's pretty neat. When you come to believe in Jesus because of somebody else's testimony, that's happened. But wow, how awesome is it when you know his word inside out and your belief is deep. Deeper than that 100 and 175 foot well. 
And that's how deep your relationship is with the Lord. Then they said to the woman in the last verse, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. If I go to a good steak place and have a good filet, I'm just going to close the lunchtime, right? Have a good filet. And you've never been to that restaurant. And I said, oh man, you got a this filet? It was, was it like this? Wide? It was this thick? And when you cut it, it just squirted the juice out. And it, just, and it was just so... Mm, oh, it was awesome. Now, you cannot get the same feeling that I did unless you cut it, chew on it, and eat it. Well, it's the same thing. If you have that personal relationship with Jesus, and it's deep, that water that's in you is a fresh spring. It's just gushing. But here's my challenge to you as we close. This summer, I was convicted. I went to a seminar on evangelism, and the Lord really grabbed my heart. So I've been trying to, every day, pray intercession for people to get saved, passing out tracts wherever I go, and I'm going to finish with this story, and then I'm going to give anybody here an opportunity who doesn't know Jesus like these Samaritans did, who were outcasts, by the way, remember. They were half-breeds with a half-breed of religion that came to the saving knowledge of Jesus because Jesus met them where they were. And they recognized him as the Christ, the anointed one, the Savior of the world. Yesterday I went to the YMCA, and whenever I go into the YMCA or any of these places, I'll take a little track and I'll just leave it on the bench or I'll put it in the locker. So I had one, there's a, like a kid section, and then there's lockers and an adult section. I put one of these uh, little tracks down. It was a comic book type of track. And I always pray, I said, Lord, just lead somebody to this track today, and I'll just read about you. So as I'm leaving, these two boys come in about seven or eight years old. And I hear one of them go, oh, look, what's that comic book? So they pick it up, and they're reading it. They say, oh, look, look at that first page. Oh, wow, it talks about heaven and hell. Look at this. And they're talking. They're having a discussion with each other. I'm just saying, oh, Lord, just grab these little hearts. Just touch them. Just, just bring them into the knowledge of you. Simple. Just a simple comic book on a bench. You know? So today, what is the Lord shining on your heart and my heart? What is he trying to show us? What is he trying to show you? Do you know Jesus as the Savior, as the Christ? Are you empty like that well? Or maybe you're just full of all the good. Maybe like this woman, you're in a moral lifestyle. Or you're wrapped up in something that you shouldn't be. Well, Jesus is here again. He had to stop here today to meet somebody. I know he meets me every time I open up his word. 
So what I want to ask you to do right now is if uh, all the saints in here could just pray that there, if there's anyone in here who is at the well today. And the title of the message today was All is Well. And if you saw the spelling of all, it's A-W-L. And if you know what the all is, it was a sharp instrument that a slave, after six years, back in the Old Testament, if they were, um, after six years of serving their master, they were going to be let go. And if they decided that they wanted to stay under the master's care, that they would go to uh, the master and say that they wanted to be uh, an indentured servant, a bond servant. And Paul, in his letters, calls himself the bond servant of Christ. And what would happen is they would take your ear with this sharp instrument, and they would go over to a door, the frame of the door, and bang, pierce your ear. The first ear piercing. No Nova came. And that was a sign. It was a ceremony, the actual ceremony that took place. And it wasn't motivated by anything but love. The love of the master. Like that indentured service. Like that woman at the well. You and I were slaves to sin. Maybe today somebody here is a slave to sin. We welcome you if you're here today because you're among sinners. And just like that woman at the well was slave to sin, she was set free by Jesus. And you don't have to get your ear pierced because we have somebody whose body was pierced to save us. That was Jesus Christ. His body pierced and saved our lives. So today, if you're here and Jesus is knocking on your heart's door and you've been empty, well, here's a time that Jesus wants to come in and give you that living water that he gave to the woman at the well and to the Samaritan people. So, saints, pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And if there's anybody here today that wants to make sure all is well, just come up here front in the front and say a brief prayer with you. And if that's you, just come up now to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior.